It's old timey crimey. I'm Christy. And I'm Amber. And we are here with your historical true crime. We've got some old timey newspapers for you today. There's I had two folders that I divided mine into crime and oddities. Oh, okay. Which I feel like really sums up the whole uh, kind of uh, thesis statement of old-timey newspaper. Crime and oddities. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so uh, remember that we do have the Patreon. So if you're running out of episodes and with our, you know, periodic breaks here as I recover from surgery number two, um, that is an option. And you can come on over there and for five bucks a month, you get um, our, our bonus episodes we just recorded two of them. By the way, those episodes were recorded in the dark because the power has gone out. And this episode continues to be in the dark thus far. It's fun. Although it should be restored within an hour or so, but uh, we don't know. But yeah, it is fun. Amber's got her, she prints out her notes, so she's got my book light around her shoulders. And uh, luckily I have my tablet. But yes, we recorded episodes in the dark and you can listen to those. And um, so five bucks a month. Patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey is the address. Link is in the show notes. I do have an advertisement here from a Bloomingdale's Bargain Basement. Ooh. And uh, I'll tell you what you could get in 1935, I want to say, is what that says. Uh, For $5, you could get uh, an umbrella as well as... Oh, wow, that did not copy well over as well as a colored glass refreshment set, a pair of boys' knickers, uh, a dainty apron frock, and uh, wallpaper. (laughs) The random stuff that you can find at Bloomingdale's Bargain Basement. But nowadays, $5 will get you us talking about crimes that you probably haven't heard of because we dig stuff out of the old-timey newspapers. (laughs) Which, speaking of... Let's do that. Oh, okay. All right, good. I was like, with the power out, I hope that my drive is still accessible and everything is fine. So, uh, all right. Um, I actually want to start because I have a really weird um, thing. This is in my oddities folder. Swain declaring self in love only poisoned, chemists say. We are on the struggle bus. We are, yes. Uh, This is 1925, by the way. 2,000 scientists attending the 69th session of the American Chemical Society had a delightful time talking about poisons today. Poisons that make men fall in love, poisons that make men quit fighting at the front, and poisons that kill germs were the the pleasant subjects of various addresses. Dr. C.H. Beebe and Dr. W.E. Lawson, United States government chemists at the Edgewood Arsenal, united in declaring warfare conducted with poisonous gases is the most humane method, the most effective, and the best assurance against war. So, yeah. Uh, There is not a single proven case in which poison gas has caused tuberculosis, (sighs) declared Dr. Lawson. It's well, not dangerous at all. Maybe not specifically tuberculosis, but there might be a couple other problems here. And then they go on to say, when men are vamped by sweet-smelling ladies, they fall victim to poisons. According to Dr. Marston T. Bogert, senior professor of chemistry at Columbia University, all perfumes, Dr. Bogert said, are made from deadly poisons, and the American woman paid $120 million for this big toxic dose last year. So perfume... Now women are so horrible that they're poisoning their lovers with perfume. The scientists were told of a new oil developed from common red pepper that can save many lives now lost through asphyxiation. If this oil, called capsaicin, is introduced into gas mains, its presence is not noticed as long as the gas is properly burned. But if anyone leaves a gas burner on, the oil will make all persons in the gas-filled room immediately sneeze so violently that they will dash out for relief in the fresh air. Captain Frank B. Gorin of the Chemical Warfare Association told of the development of this new method of life-saving. So, okay. pepper oil um, to get in the air and prevent you from dying by gas asphyxiation. I mean, it's better than saying 
poisonous gases are great for warfare. I suppose <laughs> science has come a long way. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. This was the headline. How to be happy, though married. <laughs> and I'm going to spare you most of the article because this was like a uh, Ask Doris kind of advice column. Oh, okay. All right. Thing. Uh, but I am going to just skip right ahead to a, a woman saying, A year ago I was ill, a dangerous infection of the hand. Within 24 hours I was in the hospital where I spent eight happy, peaceful weeks. I almost hated to return home. Oh, my. <laughs> Not saying a lot about that marriage in particular, at least. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> wow. And speaking of marriage, since that was short, I'll give you another short one. Gun Toter Learns of Mother-in-Law. A lecture upon the disadvantages of shooting at one's mother-in-law was given to Anthony Panza, 21 Hope Street, Brooklyn, by Magistrate George H. Falwell in Coney Island Court yesterday, when Painza had a $5,000 bail on a charge of felonious assault. Mrs. Catherine Tomasula, 1945 East 16th Street, Panza's mother-in-law, charged he appeared at the door of her home on October 26th and fired two shots at her when she answered the bell. Oh my. So he got a scolding. Yeah, basically. For shooting two shots at his mother-in-law. Well, speaking of scoldings, common scold law crops up in New Jersey back fence battle. Okay. All right, so an antique and almost forgotten law will be invoked this week when Mrs. Charles Conrad of Jersey City is brought before the Hudson County Grand Jury on the charge of being a common scold. Mrs. Conrad is pretty and titian-haired. That's sort of like a red-goldish kind of color. And doesn't look the part, but her neighbors and the Jersey City patrolmen say she has called them names. Ah, oh, how dare she? John Messick, who lives next door, swore out the complaint. Mrs. Conrad herself admits difficulties over dust shaken out on her from the Messick windows and snow thrown from the Messick yard to her own. But she said yesterday the real trouble is that she does not mix with the neighbors. This whole thing was started because I don't go in for back fence gossip, she asserted. I keep to myself and don't mingle with the neighbors, and so they think I must be queer. The common scold law specifies that a woman is a common scold who makes a public nuisance of herself and that the offense is a misdemeanor. So they're basically calling her a Karen. They're basically calling her a Karen, yeah, I guess. Um, I, I find it really interesting, though, that they, they published her picture, and um, I guess they just, whatever picture she gave them, and it's with her dogs. It's kind of cute. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking of scolds, that was, that was perfect. Uh, thank you for that segue. Well, speaking of pictures, I have one for you, and I'm just going to go ahead and give this to you when I'm done here. This is the most amazing picture I've ever seen. So, the caption, Sunshine Girl. Kentucky's champion sunshine girl is Miss Mamie Tickner, who, although an invalid for 20 years, has never frowned or said an unkind word. The picture, however, looks like something that would crawl out of the well in a scary movie. <laughs> this is your sunshine girl. Uh, no, yeah, no, she's, she's crawling into my nightmares. Yeah, there is not a smile to be seen on her face, and it is a frightening picture. <laughs> Absolutely frightening. And so I was just scrolling, and I see the caption, Sunshine Girl, under this, this woman who looks like she is going to kill you in your sleep. <laughs> and I'm like, um, are we sure that that was the right caption? That that's the award that she... One. So this is for you to oh. traumatize you for life. Thank you for giving me um, the sunshine girl. I, I so appreciate that. Okay, so um, here is here is a little uh, police brutality, but the other way around, I guess. Uh, bit a policeman in the leg. Nice. Adam Kraus disturbed his own home and resisted arrest. Adam Krauss was a defendant in the 2nd District Police Court Tuesday morning, and Judge Wislazinus fined him $10 in each of two cases. I just want to point out that I said that name. Uh, Good job. <laughs> thank you. 
Krauss and his wife, Catherine, um, live at blah, 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 North 20th Street. At 11 o'clock Monday night, there was a disturbance in the Krauss home, and Mrs. Krauss called in Patrolman Delaney to quell the trouble. Krauss thought the policeman had no business to interfere, and he resisted arrest. In the scuffle, Krauss managed to fasten his teeth in Delaney's leg and took two huge bites. Delaney succeeded in conquering Krauss, and both had their wounds dressed at the North End Dispensary. Charges of disturbing the peace and resisting an officer were placed against him. I have one kind of similar to that. I'm going to try to surmise for you. So, battling comedy dancer battered in police battle. Whoa! Whoa, that's a headline. William Kent, a featured dancer and Mr. Battling Butler, Broadway production. There's a lot of bees in this. <laughs> um, he had battled a patrolman over his pretty wife, Elsie Shaw Kent, who was also an actress. So basically, they were split up. William Kent went to visit his wife and children. She sent them away. So he came back with another actress friend of his who then got into a girl fight with his wife and pulled her hair. And a policeman tried to break it up using a nightstick, he said, because Kent had repeatedly hit him in the jaw. Apparently not very hard. He let it go on a few times before he beat his ass with a nightstick. (laughs) Anyway, so they all go to court, and eventually Mrs. Kent goes, listen, I want to drop this case because he pays me $125 a week for support of the children, and I would like to see that money. Mm. And the police officer goes, okay, only if they promise to buy me a new uniform (laughs) because they had ripped his uniform in the scuffle. So everybody agreed to the terms. Charges were dropped. They had to purchase the policeman a new uniform. That is a very interesting way for the justice system to make justice. Uh, Sort of. Well, and then underneath there's a little ad kind of on your first story. Did you know that there are traces of deadly poison in almost every bottle of liquor sold in New York today? The situation is appalling. Well, what year was that? This was 1927, maybe? Okay, that makes sense because the government actually was putting poison in, you know, hooch or whatever you want to call it. In, yeah. In order to try to scare people away from drinking and make, you know, prohibition really work, which, <laughs> spoiler alert, ha. didn't. No, it did not. That's okay. Good try. Good try. Uh, good try. Um, I have another lady burglar here. Ooh, I love lady burglars. Lady burglars are just now commanding the undivided attention of the North Side Police. Through the arrest of Minnie Milbrandt, 16 years old, who, armed only with a pair of scissors, entered the house of Louis F. Haller yesterday, the police have had their eyes open to the increasing tendency of the gentle sex to invade another professional field heretofore monopolized by the masculine workers. To Captain Schuttler... Miss Milbrandt, while confessing herself a burglar, intimated that she knew other lady burglars on the north side. The girl, who was arrested last night, was arraigned today before Justice Mahoney and held to the criminal court in $1,000 bond, in default of which she was sent to the county jail. She appeared in the courtroom arrayed in a hat, dress, jacket, and shoes belonging to Mrs. Haller. That is hilarious. Which, together with $47 in currency, a zither, and papers valued at $2,000, was the plunder secured from the Haller home. The house on Dunning Street was entered between the hours of 5 and 6 in the morning by cutting through a screen window with scissors. Love it. Zither. I have to look up what a zither is. I am going... This one actually kind of reminded me of you. It's Um, a lap harp. Yes, I was going to say, I thought it was an instrument. <laughs> it's a lap harp. She stole the... Aw, yeah, I like it even more. <laughs> I'm going to show up with my zither. <laughs> so this reminded me of you. So this, the uh, the headline is, Ha ha, Mr. Genealogist, straighten out this tree. <laughs> so this is from Cologne, Germany. If baby's grandmother, who is already baby's stepsister or sister-in-law, has a baby, what relation is it? A Targaryen? <laughs> The trouble started when a 68-year-old widower married the village Belle, 22, just over a year ago. Then the bridegroom's 
40-year-old son mixed things up by marrying his youthful stepmother's mother of 40, whereby his father became his son-in-law, his stepmother his stepdaughter, and his wife his father's mother-in-law. Now the 22-year-old bride has presented her husband a baby girl who automatically becomes stepsister to her own grandmother. It is reported that a visit from the stork is expected at the home of the 40-year-old grandmother's stepsister, and the village has given up talk about reparations or the Spanish dictatorship to work out the family relationships. Oh my. (laughs) Yep, that's Targaryen as it gets. (laughs) These people... Also have white hair and uh, dragons. I'm positive. Yeah, that is uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have uh, a little love story for you as well. Okay. Elevator man, 21, lifts poetess, 50, to love's realms. Oh. Chicago. This is 1925, by the way. She is Mrs. Ida Sundine Campbell, attractive widow of 50, poetess and keeper of a boarding house at 6309 Magnolia Ave. He is James Weaver, strapping youth of 21, elevator operator in the auditorium building and boarder at the Magnolia Avenue address. Blushing happily, Mrs. Campbell said today in the midst of her preparations for the wedding, set for Saturday, amid the Easter lilies of Garfield Park Conservatory, Suddenly, romance dawned upon us. I said I was robbing the cradle. He said he was robbing the old people's home. Well, speaking of romance, (laughs) Danville, Illinois, Mrs. Mary E. Volk Bishop divorced two husbands at the same time. The husbands were Jay Volk of St. Louis, whom she married in 1917 at Sullivan, Indiana, and Fred Bishop, whom she married at Williamsport, Indiana, under the impression that Volk was dead. She had no use for either husband, she said, claiming both had deserted her after failing to support her. She told the court she would revert to a previous name and be known as Mrs. Mary E. Carpenter, man-hater. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> I have no use for either husband. <laughs> Well, um, I, I hate to be the one to break this to everybody, but noticed artists, noted artist says, Blonde's day is over. Redheads lead now, but he sees era opening for brunettes. Yes, this is in the fucking newspaper. There's lots of weird shit in the newspaper. I know. Data, data on the question of blondes versus brunettes versus redheads was brought up to date today with an artist's pronouncement that nobody pays any attention to blondes nowadays. There is no doubt about it. The blonde has passed, said Russell Patterson, illustrator, designer, puppeteer, and beauty contest judge. This is a red-headed era But women's hair gradually is getting darker. In another year or so, everybody will be wanting brunettes. This is a good thing, he said, for brunettes have been a drug on the market for 15 years and are getting discouraged. Blondes really passed with the flapper, but no one realized it until Jean Harlow and Alice Faye turned up with red hair, Mr. Patterson declared. Being a blonde just now is about the biggest handicap a girl could have. That's that's one man's opinion. That is one man's opinion. Uh, This is a fun little blurb for you. After he had used her as a shield from police bullets and stripped her of a $400 fur coat, a lone gunman threw the model into an alley, breaking her neck. However, she was a wax model, so the damage is not as gruesome as it might appear at first sight. But it broke the heart of B. Michelson, fur dealer, from whose window she had been stolen. Oh, my... That is an interesting little chain of events. They really uh they really had me in the first half. <laughs> right? Right? It's like used her as a shield from bullets and then threw her and broke her neck. Oh, but she was wax. <laughs> well, I just realized that I actually have a little bit of a spooky one for us since we're still in the dark. All right. All right. So This is why the magician retired. Now it is part of a much larger piece. I just cut it down to this. Um, but yeah, one night at the height of his fame, this latter magician vanished from the illusion business forever. His dramatic retirement was never explained to the public. 
I can tell you now that it was due to interference from what we have always believed was a real ghost. <sighs> this magician performed a trick in which he walked onto the stage carrying a bundle of assorted human legs and arms, a human trunk, and a head. He threw the separate bits down on the stage. Then he picked up the trunk, stuck a leg onto it, slapped it into place, and the tr trunk stood up by itself on one leg. An arm was added next, then the other leg, and another arm. Finally, the magician picked up the head, stuck it on the neck of the body, and immediately the figure began to walk about, talk, and behave like a real human being. It was, in fact, obviously real and human. Who was his stage helper? The correct performance of this illusion depended on the presence of an assistant behind the scenes, and the magician's wife always acted as his assistant, though she never sought any of the glory of the trick. One afternoon, she was taken suddenly very ill and was whisked away to a nursing home, where she died at about six o'clock. The stricken magician went on the stage as usual that night with his bundle of limbs under his arm and began his trick. Halfway through it, he realized that he could not perform it. In his grief, he had forgotten to get another assistant in place of his dead wife. Too miserable to care what happened, he went on with the trick, waiting for the inevitable moment when failure brought down on him the jeering laughter of the audience. The trick went through perfectly because a shadowy figure in the wings did exactly what was necessary at the right moment. Searching examination afterwards proved there was no one in the wings at the time, or at least no one human. The magician would never perform again after that night. Ooh. So his wife was waiting in the wings to be his assistant one last time. Well, I will uh, give you some other ones that don't end like that. So <laughs> this is the same paper. Uh, two different stories, both quite quick. So uh, Los Angeles, enraged at his wife's refusal to discuss a divorce, Dennis B. Hibbs of Pasadena, California, shot Mrs. Mary Hibbs three times, wounding her seriously. Hibbs then attempted to shoot his 13-year-old daughter, Mamie, and finally turned the gun on himself, ending his life. Oh, my. And again, same paper. Medford, Massachusetts, December 1st. A domestic quarrel ended in the death of a housewife and the attempted suicide of her husband here today. William N. Garland, 58, a salesman, stabbed his wife Elizabeth, 55, about 20 times with the carving knife, mm. slashed her face with a razor, then tried to end his own life with the knife and poison. Garland told police he objected to living in the same house with his daughter, Lillian, who was born to his first wife. Mrs. Garland insisted she remain in their home. Some people just make bad choices, yes. Let's talk about executioner rates. Okay. Because they had in 1910 what was paid to the executioner, George Stryker. That sounds like an executioner name. It really does, yes. It sounds like an executioner name in a comic book. <laughs> so... Uh, George Stryker has filed his bill with the state for $143.50, which is the amount he charged for superintending the execution of Burke Taylor at the state penitentiary. Uh, so $143.50 is um, $4,168. That's surprisingly affordable. Yeah. Of this amount, $43.40 is for expenses, and the $100 is his fee. The expenses were divided as follows. Railroad fare, $270. Battery and ex Express, $12.50. Day's work on scaffold, $17.20. Rope and Express, $11. That's what the executioner made. Hey there, beloved listeners. If you're enjoying this episode, then you absolutely should check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, which is the absolute best way you can support the show and get something in return. For just $5 a month, you get five bonus episodes a month. On the Patreon, we frequently talk about old-timey crimes you won't hear about anywhere else. Crimes that have been forgotten by time and erased by history that you won't read about on Wikipedia, Murderpedia, or really anypedia. We also delve into the old newspapers, for the wacky wild crimes like the thieving lion tamer and the spaceman intruder. Or talk about strange, delightful customs like nutting day while learning about the time people rioted over cheese. 
<laughs> so come, we can't even talk about it in our own promo without giggling. I love Nutting Day. <laughs> nutting Day is the best day. So come check out the Patreon for more of the weirdest, wildest, and most shocking old-timey crime. That's patreon.com slash oldtimey crimey. Where's the link? In the show notes. <laughs> I knew I was not going to get through Nutting Day without giggling. All right. How about this joint? Neighbors started a petition. So uh, a petition was signed by residents of Ridgeville, New Jersey, and the William L. Dill... Dill, Motor Vehicle Commissioner of New Jersey, will sit as a magistrate at Ridgewood today to take testimony for the purpose of determining whether Mrs. Marguerite Welty is a proper person to hold a driver's license. Oh, how bad of a driver are you that all of your neighbors sign a petition to make it so that you cannot drive anymore? Well, she is a lady driver and you know how they are. And actually, the headline is, Neighbors Threaten Woman Driver. <laughs> there you go. Uh, here is another uh, precocious youth here. Uh, Ralph D. Green, a youthful joyrider, was arrested by the police yesterday, charged with appropriating to his own use automobiles belonging to other persons. Yesterday was the boy's 15th birthday, and he spent the day in the Central Police Station. Green, according to the police, has an overwhelming desire to ride about the city in an automobile and is rather careless as to whose machine he uses. He took Fire Chief Ely's Ford a few days ago and has caused trouble and annoyance for numerous citizens within the past few months. He was turned over to the juvenile authorities. I love that he had the brass balls to steal the Fire Chief's car. That is, uh, that is pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. Now, uh, not a fireman, but a patrolman. Let me, let me tell you a story about a, b a patrolman. So, uh, after tomorrow, patrolman Walter LaFord of North Bergen, New Jersey, and Anna Dillon, 19, of Five Ridgely Place, Weehawken, New Jersey, will do their petting where no prying fellow patrolman can interfere. They will be man and wife. LaFord and Mrs. Dillon were spooning, petting, necking, or what have you in front of 10 Maple Street, Weehawken, Tuesday night, when Patrolman George Ginninger Jr. of the Weehawken Police Force told them to move on. Because they sassed Ginninger, LaFord was arrested and Wednesday was fined $10 by Judge Andrew L. Noonan in Weehawken. In the meantime, the girl had been taken by the Knighted Aid Society in Hoboken as an incorrigible and was to be sent to a home on her mother's complaint. LaFord yesterday decided to marry the girl rather than see her sent away. They obtained a license and the knot will be tied in Weehawken City Hall tomorrow. That's an interesting relationship. So it, it seems like they were boyfriend and girlfriend. He's a police officer. And um, they got caught, and so everybody's like, you slut, send her away. And the policeman's like, all right, fuck it, I'll marry her. So because they got caught, just spooning necking. I mean, are we, are we saying these are euphemisms for, you know, making out and groping, or <laughs> yeah, is this, it is this like full making on? making out. Yeah, so because they were caught making out, they, geez, my lord. I have actually another slightly spooky one. Oh, so uh, this is warned that her son was dying. Benjamin Hanlon, a young man of Patterson, died a short time ago. His mother, just married for the second time, had gone on a trip to England with her husband. On the night when Hanlon died, his mother startled her husband and their friends, with whom they were stopping, by exclaiming, There's something wrong with Benny at home. We must go at once. It was the intention of Mrs. Hanlon to visit her native town of Chester, and their stay in Europe was not half over, but she insisted on returning home. She arrived a day or two ago. When she was met by friends and informed of Benjamin's death, she replied, I knew it. She said yesterday to a reporter, It came to me in a dream. My first husband appeared close by my bedside and laughed at me in an uncanny manner. I knew at once that my son was about to die because some years ago, just before my daughter died, my dead husband appeared to me in just the same way. The dream was on the same night that Benny died and, making allowance for the difference in the time, it must have been at the same hour. Mrs. Hanlon's interpretation of her dream and her persistent and successful demand to be brought directly home is in every respect corroborated by her husband. 
but for the dream and the influence it had upon her, they would have remained in England for some time yet. So she has dreams when her children are about to die, where her dead husband appears and laughs at her. Interesting. He seems like a a special fella. You gotta wonder what that relationship was like. Well, maybe she's the one laughing that she's not married to him anymore. (laughs) I love it when she's in pain. (laughs) Vast beer thirst puts two in jug. Because they admitted having six cases of beer and a hundred gallons in the making on their houseboat, houseboat Joy Bells, anchored off Sanders Dock in Yonkers, Dan Miller and Tom Crum yesterday were sentenced to three days imprisonment by Judge William Bondi in the U.S. District Court. Their lawyer said they made the beer for their own use. Do they expect to remain on the boat a thousand years? asked Judge Bondi. Why, Your Honor, either of them can consume a case of good homebrew every day, replied the attorney. <laughs> I thought that was lovely. They can drink that much, don't worry. Yeah, sure, they can drink that much. Um, I have one that you're going to hate, and if you were alive back in the time that this was on the screens, you would probably have firebombed the theater. Harold Lloyd and his fair Lloydies. Harold Lloyd has a bevy of fair beauties supporting him in His Royal Slyness, his newest two-reel comedy for Pathé. This lively comedy is the story of a book agent who becomes the Prince of Razamataz. Much of the action takes place in the royal court where, as the pseudo-prince, Lloyd flirts with the Lloydies-in-waiting. Mildred Davis is the leading Lloydie, and snub Pollard, Gus Leonard, and Noah Young lend valuable support. His royal slyness comes to Regent Theater soon. Okay, it does not feel, doesn't roll off the tongue, his royal slyness. Does not at all. And the Lloydies makes me want to stab somebody, and I'm a pun person. So uh, this is from 1928, and I just loved the headline very much. Edison to search for new rubber. (laughs) Well, if the last one broke. (laughs) Thomas A. Edison will resume his quest for new sources of rubber material in Florida this winter. He and Mrs. Edison will close their home here and go to Fort Myers, Florida on January 15th. The inventor has several acres of plants with possible rubber content on his Fort Myers grounds. The Edisons plan to remain in Florida for about six months. Edison will celebrate his 81st birthday on February 11th. Now... Immediately after this, it's just a quick blurb. The fate of 1958. Paris, December 1st. In 1958, women will wear street trousers. Men will wear house dresses. And love will be extinct. (laughs) Oh my god. Was that written yesterday? (laughs) I thought that that was outstanding. That is beautiful. Good guess. Okay, well yours is about rubber. Rubber grows on trees. Do you know what else grows on trees? Not money. Bananas. Bananas. All right, so this is about Maddie Bergman. Maddie Bergman, 34 years old, who has been stopping with friends at West Chestnut Street, was taken to the city hospital Monday evening suffering from severe facial bruises. She says she slipped on a banana peel at 20th and Olive Streets and fell to the sidewalk. She will remain in the hospital for a while. That doesn't happen in real life. It did for Maddie. Weird. Weird. All right. Uh, One day bride who paid and paid turns hubby in. Shrewd Jacob Anderson, who asserted he was a former star of the wartime intelligence service and a Scotland Yard ace, was arrested yesterday at his home in Brooklyn on a charge of grand larceny. His bride, Molly Schneiderman with whom he lived only one day, said that her husband had swindled her out of $2,000 and had posed as a physician during their swift courtship. They took a boat ride to Poughkeepsie and married on November 19th. That very day, Molly charges Jacob needed $2,000 with which to furnish furnish the home he was going to buy. He would add $2,000 to it as well. And he went to the bank and deposited $40 and then drew extra zeros so that it seemed as though he had deposited $4,000. 
That night, he wandered away. Mrs. Estelle Levison discovered in Anderson's apartment said she has lived with him as his common-law wife for four years, but she knew him as Jack Nassau. So he was already married to somebody else with a different identity, changed his identity, and married Molly. That's, uh, he's a slippery fellow. He is. Quite slippery. Uh, here is a, a Texas guardman who got a life term. Oh, okay. Sergeant J.D. Manley of the Texas National Guard, who st- stabbed with his bayonet and killed Louis Rick- Rickenstein, a spectator during the visit of President Taft to Dallas a year ago, was given a life sentence in the penitentiary by a jury. The defendant showed signs of temporary insanity at the close of the trial, and as the jury filed out, he shook their hands and thanked them for the life sentence. As an outcome of the conviction of Sergeant Manley, all of the officers of the 3rd Regiment, Texas National Guard, of which Manley is a member, have tendered their resignations to the Adjutant General of the state. Well, you know what? Some people find jail to be pretty great. Literally, headline, Winters in Jail finds it great. Oh, well. Yonkers, New York. Luke Connors, 75, is certain to be warm and comfortable this winter. Each year, Connors asks to be sentenced as a vagrant. This year, a kindly judge gave him five months. Connors prefers jail to the almshouse. Okay, well, um, here's a guy who was in jail, and then he was warm for a minute. Uh, murderer burned at stake. Oh, that's very warm. <laughs> very warm, yeah. San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Antonio Rodriguez of Las Vegas, Mexico, aged 20 years, was burned at the stake by a mob at Rock Springs, Texas, following his confession that he shot and killed Mrs. Lem Henderson, wife of a ranchman, because she spoke mean to him. Rodriguez was arrested when he applied at a ranch near Rock Springs for food. The mob stormed the frail structure at Rock Springs, overpowered the guard, and took Rodriguez some distance from the city to an already prepared pier. With a show, without a show of emotion and offering little resistance, Rodriguez was bound to the stake and the torch applied. When his body was completely incinerated, the mob dispersed. Huh. So they, uh, they must have really liked Mrs. Mrs. Lem. <laughs> she was well liked. All right. How about a mystery for you? Ooh, I like a mystery. The strange death of a 64-year-old Englishman, killed almost instantly by a bullet fired into his thigh, gave Baltimore police a many-angled mystery. For two hours after his body was found, in the office of a real estate company where he worked as a bookkeeper, employees thought that Albert Cooley died of natural causes. Then, at the hospital, an examination found that he had been shot in the left thigh, and the bullet had coursed upward into his heart. No gun was found. Hmm. Captain John A. Cooney, chief of detectives, said the circumstances indicated Cooley was shot as he lay on the floor. There was no evidence of a struggle or robbery, and police found $12.75 in cash in his pocket. W.F. Mylander, Cooley's employer for the last 16 years, said he saw the man at work 35 minutes before the body was found. Hmm. So he was working. He was shot while laying down. And no gun was found. That is very strange. Yeah. And so to me, what I think... The angles are weird. Nobody ever saw anybody. Nobody ever heard a gunshot. But what if somebody on a lower floor had shot up at the ceiling? Because then the angle, if he were standing, would have been the same as somebody laying, perhaps. But I still don't see it. If he was standing and you shot upwards, first of all, you, that's a pretty narrow target. Just like I don't think it was deliberate. Okay. I'm not thinking well, it was no, deliberate. Well, no, but even if, if it's not deliberate, the odds of that uh, person being directly above you are pretty slim. And then if the bullet, you shoot a bullet into the air, into the ceiling, and somebody's standing on a floor above the ceiling, doesn't it just like, 
Well, it went in through his thigh and then traveled straight through his body to his heart. So it did go upwards. So there's that. So I guess even if he was maybe leaning forwards, I suppose. Interesting. That's really weird. Really weird. That's so strange. Okay, I have an advertisement for you. Okay. Getting stout. Then here's a little suggestion that will help you reduce. When you feel that gnawing hankering for sweets coming on, just eat a few lifesavers, the Stay Thin candy. They give you sugar in small quantities, yet not enough to let you get stout. Always have handy a package of your favorite flavor. You'll find this plan really works. Six flavors displayed at all good stores, so you may help yourself. And I found the flavors to be fascinating. Okay. We have some of the classics, peppermint, wintergreen, uh, and then we have cinnamon, licorice, clove, and violet. Ew. Interesting. Interesting. Gross. I uh, used to be able to eat like an entire bag of those like individually packaged peppermint lifesavers in like one sitting. I adored those so much. Ew. I know, right? That was like high school. Judging you. (laughs) Go ahead. That's fine. (laughs) I I will also give you some diet advice. So uh, for lunch and breakfast, eat two large ripe bananas and drink one glass of whole milk. For dinner, clear soup, a slice of lean meat, three green vegetable portions, salad, a slice of bread and butter, uncooked fruit. Send a stamped addressed envelope for banana milk diet. Oh, well, the banana milk diet. The banana milk diet. That that needs a little, it needs to run it through marketing again. Yeah, it, like it, it makes me kind of want to throw up. Yeah. So, all right, um, I have a story about another lady burglar. Okay. This is London. Lady burglar fires fumes. A young woman burglar, her face masked with flying goggles and helmet, shot her way into an apartment with an ammonia-loaded water pistol today and ran off with $280. Mrs. Beatrice Holliday said the woman squirted the ammonia into her face after she opened the door. While she was partially blinded, she said, the woman snatched a handbag containing the money. Huh. Wore, wore flight goggles, squirt gun with ammonia. That's kind of outstanding. It's kind of good, yeah. I want to make her a comic book now. <laughs> yeah. We can get George Stryker in there. Executioner. There you go. Yeah. All right, hangs half hour by foot and lift. Anton Burneth, 40-year-old Taylor, was forced to hold a fantastic and painful pose for half an hour yesterday. He hung downward, suspended by one leg, inside an elevator in the Brooks Brothers building until police emergency men cut him loose with ass... Uh, whatever, torches. Torches. Acetylene. There we go. <laughs> Burneth entered the elevator, which was on the ground floor, behind a man pushing a hand truck. The handle of the truck struck the control, and the elevator started downward. Burneth sprang forward, but his foot, still outside the car, was caught between the roof of the descending elevator and the wall. Finally, they did get him out, and he was taken to Metropolitan Hospital with a broken ankle. Oh, my. If elevators were not scary before, they used to have controls that could make them drop at will. So that's even more frightening. That's really fun. Um, I don't have a lot left. I'd say I have one little funny snippet and then a cute one and then a recipe. Uh, Let's do it. I've got a funny snippet. I'll look for a cute one and I think I do have a recipe in here for you. Okay. All right. I'll give you my little snippet. These are two uh, side-by-side little like jokey items. Uh, that were under a, a, a heading where they put all kinds of weird miscellaneous things. Uh, Some women just naturally make up their minds to love a fish, says Mrs. Tom Thompson, whether they keep it in a glass bowl in the parlor or marry it and set it at the head of the table. And then right below that, because the sexism has to go both ways. Men are so impulsive. A Kansas City man proposed to a woman, and because she rejected him, he threw her out of a window. He went a little too far. A good choking would have been a little more conservative. Wow. Okay. Fun. Yeah. (laughs) Let's hunt female Santa Claus. Okay. 
The Advertising Club of New York is looking for the fattest woman in the city. A classified ad yesterday specified if under 250 pounds or six feet in height, don't apply. The reason for this search is they want the lady to be their Santa Claus this year. <sighs> Has to be more than 250 pounds and bigger than six feet. That's that's a that's a lady. That that's is, a lady. That is one hell of a lady. That that's a lady. Yeah. So uh, I have Mother Cat postpones Rensselaer street cleaning. This is in Rensselaer, New York. Rensselaer streets went uncleaned half a day because a cat used the street sweeping machine for a maternity ward. Willis Phillips and Eugene Julio were greeted by Tabby's purrs from the interior of the machine when they reported for work Tuesday at the city storehouse. It took half the morning to disassemble the sweeper to extricate the cat and her two newborn kittens. It took the rest of the morning to reassemble the apparatus. Tabby, the storehouse mascot, and her kittens are doing well. Aww, that's so cute. Six liquor melons cut, no one gets pickled. <laughs> Six of those widely publicized liquor-inoculated honeydew melons were plucked in the greenhouses of Samuel Utmeyer's estate at Yonkers yesterday. The experimenters pronounced themselves two-thirds satisfied with the results. They said a new crop would be grown. George Chisholm, superintendent of the estate, said that those flavored with cognac and benedictine were pronounced success, but that the port wine melons were not so satisfactory. To a reporter's uneducated palate, the benedictine melons, melons, eh, melons, melons, <laughs> seemed to contain a vague flavor of that liquor, but the cognac melons tasted just like melons. Chisholm said the liquor melons had bloated to a much larger size than regular honeydews planted at the same time. Oh my. Okay, well that's that's quite the experiment. I'll do Interesting. it. Interesting. I'll it. do it. All right, I have a recipe for you. Uh, this is a molded egg salad. Chop five hard-boiled eggs or put through a ricer. Season with salt and pepper. Cream two tablespoons butter in this and press into ginger ale glasses. Place in ice chest for at least six hours. Remove from molds and slice about one inch thick. Place a few rings of lettuce on each salad plate and serve with a little mayonnaise. Yum. That is a not flavor. <laughs> That's eggs and butter, salt and pepper. That's basically it. Mine is not too far off from yours. <laughs> Ma of 14 seeking food show prize. Not content with winning first prize for the largest family in Greater New York at the New York Food Show last year, Mrs. Cornelius Bolster, mother of 16, has forwarded her recipe for her children's favorite dish to the food show being held at the armory. She calls the dish Poor Man's Pudding. To serve a family of 18... She puts one and a half pounds of rice, four and a half quarts of milk, a pinch of salt, sugar, vanilla flavoring, and nutmeg to taste. She hopes to share in the $100 prize offered for favorite recipes this year. A pinch of salt in that much rice? It sounds like a sweet dish to me, like a rice pudding almost. Uh, no, thank you. That... I don't, did people not have taste buds? Like, no, it's just rice, milk, salt, sugar, and vanilla. Like, there's, there's not a lot of flavor going on there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty flavorless. Wow, okay. All right, well, that has been uh, old-timey newspapers and old-timey recipes that uh, are not appealing at all in any way, shape, or form. Just very bland and flavorless oh. and boring. Yeah. <laughs> so... Don't forget, again, about the Patreon. Um, rate and review us wherever you can. And um, we'll be around. I'm not guaranteeing uh, that we're going to jump right into weekly again, but that we'll, we'll get there at some point. We'll get there eventually. Yeah, it's uh, recovery from, from any sort of surgery is not a straight line. It's not linear. It's up and it's down and it's up and it's down. I had a couple days last week where I was getting around without my cane like pretty well. And then a couple days where I could barely even walk. It's just, it's insane. So yeah, lots of fun going on with uh, my shiny metal ass. <laughs> we love your shiny metal ass. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs>
All right. Uh, well, what you doing this week, Amber? What you up to? We haven't done this in a while. Oh, um, working kids. If I'm feeling frisky, I might try to get the Christmas tree up next weekend. Ooh. Because that's coming around the corner. should probably do that. And um, uh, some charity work, trying to get some stuff together for the angel tree. So. Oh, nice. It's that time of year. Woo! What are you doing? Well, yeah, I need to start Christmas shopping and thinking about that. Um, and I have like fun appointments, like my pain management doctor and dentists, all kinds of fun. Ooh, yeah. fun. <laughs> Yippee. So yeah, stuff like that, but yeah, nothing super exciting. I'm currently, um, listening over on Scribd and listening to an audiobook, um, the uh, true crime. So our, uh, fans who haven't heard it would probably, um, be interested. It's uh, a serial killer's daughter, my story of faith, love, and um, an ellipses because Scribd doesn't want to give me the full title by Carrie Rawson. She is the uh, daughter of the BTK. Oh, yeah. So, um, and he was he was caught in the mid aughts, mid two thousands. However, oh, we're I saying hate that. Aughts. I, I hate, hate aughts too. Thank you. High five for hating aughts. No aughts here. Uh, excellent. So, yeah, um, it's a little heavy on the faith, but that's not a criticism of her. That's just my taste. Uh, but, but I'm still in, enjoying it. I read porn, so, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to judge you. Well, I appreciate that the lack of judging on that, but, but judging me on other things. Yeah. <laughs> I won't judge you based on what you read. I'll yeah. judge you on everything else. Everything else, yeah. So, all right, yeah, I'm just going to continue listening to that and... Um, just trying to get better and get up and about. So, so yeah, um, that's what's going on there. And um, I'm going to say, if you take anything from this episode, don't slip on banana peels. Don't try the banana and milk diet, because that sounds like puke. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. I gotta pee. Oh, I want to itch my incision just right out of my skin. <laughs>